Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. NFL Draft Week here in Portland. Welcome back to the Game Plan Podcast, 1029thegame.com. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. And Perkins, it's time for the NFL Draft. We're finally here. Oh, man. It's been so long since we've been able to have an actual NFL story. It's been, what, two weeks? It's been a while. Yeah, and I love it because come Thursday, you know, NBA playoffs are in full swing. NHL getting towards Stanley Cup. Baseball just started. Mm -hmm. And all anyone will be talking about is the NFL Draft. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a twelve month a year sport now, and it's the 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 possibility factor with the NFL draft, the unknown factor with the NFL draft. It makes the the weeks leading up to it uh, so intriguing and just full of content because everybody wants to take certain different uh, prospects and match them with certain different teams. And look, this year the quarterbacks are kind of dominating the the topic of conversation. But the Seattle Seahawks aren't exactly going to be in a market for one of the top-tier quarterbacks, although they did work out a couple of them, which is interesting to think big picture with the Seahawks. But we're going to be talking about the draft coming up later in this podcast. We'll also have Seahawks players joining us today. A couple of interviews. Ed Dixon, Seahawks tight end, just signed a deal with Seattle about a month ago. John Ryan, the team's punter, will be along as well. Uh, We're going to talk to John about not only punting, but, of course, what he's got going on. With his uh, off-season interest, he's a co-owner of an independent league baseball team here in Portland, the Portland Pickles. So going to talk to John about that later on in the show as well. But first, Perkins, let's do a quick recap of the news that's uh, been floating around Seahawklandia, if I can say that. Uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider spoke yesterday with the media as the opening to draft week, and they both said that the door is not yet fully closed on them signing Colin Kaepernick. Now, there were developments on this story that came out last week that, in my opinion, were were began by Colin Kaepernick's camp saying that the Seahawks decided to abruptly cut off their meeting with Kaepernick because of the issue of him kneeling for the national anthem. John Schneider didn't even deny that when he was asked directly about it, which causes more intrigue and, and uh, debate, ra- rather, as well. But now they're coming out this week saying that it's not fully closed on that opportunity. I mean, what do we make of all this? And do you want the Seahawks to sign Kaepernick, even if he comes at a heavier price than a lot of backups would? Yeah, you know how I feel about this. I think that he's the best option out there for them. I don't think Austin Davis... uh, Look, in the end, if Russell Wilson misses more than a week or two, the Seahawks, who are already probably screwed, are really screwed, right? (laughs) I mean, it doesn't matter who you have, um, especially because... You know, even if Colin Kaepernick is able to get to a level that he was playing at in what 2016, um, which which he played at a higher level than I think a lot of people give him credit for, because the team was so terrible top to bottom, it would still take him time to get to that level. He hasn't played in the league in a season. He would be a backup on Seattle, and by the time he got into game shape and game form, um, you know, it, it, I mean the team would probably be out of the playoff race anyway if if Wilson was missing any sort substantial amount of time. Um, you know, for a team that is very uh, cap-strapped right now, it does not seem logical on paper to bring in a high-priced backup quarterback. And we got to be clear that, and I agree with you, but just asking to bring him in for a conversation 
is a lot different. It's a lot different yeah. than saying, oh, they're on the precipice of signing him. So, like, if you're talking about the progression of from point A to point B and point B being signing Colin Kaepernick, like, there's a lot of factors involved in getting from point A to point B, and one of which, probably the first of which, is knowing where he stands on the kneeling issue. You know, in addition to where he stands on the money issue. So, you know, I don't think we should think of this as saying, oh, everything was like right there for the Seahawks to sign Kaepernick. They had the money figured out and everything. All the other factors were already resolved except for the kneeling the issue. Kneeling issue. I think it was the first in a long line of factors. And they said, well, if we can't get clarity on that, then we're not even going to pursue the other factors involved as opposed to everything else being set in stone. And this was the black and white, you know, pardon the pun, but. This was the this was the line of demarcation, if you will. It does surprise me a little bit that they would even care, just based on the way yeah. I I know that players didn't necessarily kneel for Seattle outside of the one week when you know Trump did his whole spiel calling players sons of bitches. Well, you that's know, partly because they did the team oriented approach of locking arms. Of locking they were arms. the first teams to do that. Yes, they were, but. You know, they've still had. I mean, Michael Bennett. You know, put his hand. You know, put his fists in the air. He sat most of the season, didn't he? Yes. And Justin Britt was standing next to him with his hand on the shoulder pad supporting him. So that part to me is a little confusing because it seems a little bit like a cop-out from Seattle. Like you supported your players last year doing this. They all said it wasn't a disruption. I have a hard time imagining that it really did make an impact on the season. I would say injuries probably had a much bigger impact on that team than any of that stuff did. Um, but then you look at what they did this offseason, right? They trade away Michael Bennett. Richard Sherman, who's a pretty outspoken guy, not as much about these issues. He has talked about them, of course, but not as much as, let's say, a Michael Bennett. He's gone. I mean, they have gotten rid of some of those really loud personalities on the team. So are they trying to kind of, you know, step away from that? But if you base things on the way Seattle has run things in the past, I don't see why they would have an issue with it to begin with. Right. They've seemed to be taking more of a liberal, inclusive approach than any other team in the league. You're looking at a guy like Steven Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, being deposed today in the Kaepernick uh, blackball lawsuit against the NFL or the grievance case against the NFL. You know, the Seahawks will never be involved in something like that. Now, maybe just with this, they put themselves in that conversation, but it does seem to be a little... uh, antithetical to the approach that they've taken so far and just keep in mind you know you're going to draw criticism as a franchise for whatever stance you take with with players uh standing up for social issues when you don't win the super bowl any team that doesn't win the super bowl is gonna you know have like oh well it's because this so-and-so was a distraction but the reason that's bogus is because the philadelphia eagles just won the super bowl and they've got malcolm jenkins and chris long two of the most outspoken you know social uh you know, social advocates in the entire league, especially Jenkins, but but long as well. So, you know, that argument is complete bogus. They just won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, not that the Seahawks are close to winning the Super Bowl next year, but if that's if that's their worry, I think their worry more or their concern more is with, you know, the age of their stars, the, the financial hit of their stars when you're talking about guys like Bennett and Sherman, the, the um, injuries. Production versus money. Production, yeah. injuries, stuff like that. Averill mixes in there too. But, you know, sure. they, they haven't come right out and say that the social component of it is not a factor either. So. Yeah, I mean, that's just when, when you read the report, you just get a little confused, I think, by that. Because it, it and it also I think that if you are in the camp of wanting Colin Kaepernick to play in the NFL again, and I am in that camp personally, this is not a good sign of things to come. Right. Because like you mentioned, Seattle has been one of those teams that has, a you know, has supported players. 
during that, you know, during these processes and, and during the protests. So that's disconcerting as well. And then you look at Eric Reed even, right? And what's going on with him. Yeah, they, still isn't found very, with anybody. Very, very talented yep. player. Very talented player. So, Can I mean, you- yeah. I mean, I, I was just going to say the argument of you see everyone go like, oh, Colin Kaepernick, he's not good. He's not a starter anymore. He's not worth the headache because he's just a backup. Well, what about Eric Reed? What about Eric Reed then? Yeah. Where does that a conversation go from there? A better player is position than Colin Kaepernick. Much is, better. That is. A starter. Yeah. Um, Cam Chancellor is getting a scan on his neck scheduled for late June, early July. That according to Pete Carroll on Monday. How vital is Cam's return for the success of the defense in 2018? Or at this point, is it a plan to be without him? I mean, I, I think that you have to definitely have a contingency plan in place, right? If yeah. you're Seattle. And I think when we start talking about some of our draft picks, maybe some of that comes to light. But at the same time, if you can get him for another season, you know, I think that if you're Cam, you have to obviously take a lot of things into consideration. He's had some injuries that could affect him long-term. And his long-term health is more important than what could be a lost 2018 season, if we're being honest. And it's worth asking, what's the worst-case scenario with Cam Chancellor? Is it actually retirement now, or is it him staying on your books contractually and just not playing all year, staying on the sideline, basically taking a year off, but you know, still on your on your cap. Well, they're and paying not playing. Him, they're paying him regardless. I mean, his contract has injury guarantees. Mm. So, I mean, for me, if it's he, already the worst case scenario. Yeah, I mean, if for in my mind, if he can play at all and he wants to play, that will be a huge boon for them. I mean, this is right. a team that lost a lot of guys, and they have a lot of new faces and a new defensive coordinator and a new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, and all these different position coaches. You need some stability there, right. and having your two starting safeties that have been together during this run that this team has had would be huge. There and there's something to be said if, if Cam's around, you know, mentoring the younger guys or mentoring the guys below him to play in the secondary as well. Earl Thomas reportedly will not hold out. He is planning on being a full participant coming up in training camp and into the uh, preseason and regular season. That's very, very encouraging news on my end because about just a month ago we were talking about are the Seahawks going to trade this guy and what have you, but he was on Sky Sports out in um, uh, UK uh, earlier this offseason and said, you know, I want to be a Seahawk, you know, I've got no intentions of, of going elsewhere. Uh, and then he's been active on Twitter as well, trying to clarify his position. And it sounds like his agents are telling the Seahawks as well that he's he's good to go. Which is a good sign. I, now they need to extend him. Right. Yep. But, you know, Seattle's been burned. They were burned by Averill. They were burned by Cam. And this isn't those guys' fault. You know, yeah, injuries that, are part of the game. That's a tough way to put it. to say. But they have know. been burned by the contracts that they have given these guys. I mean, they have. The team is, it's and it's not the fault of the player that they get injured the way they did. It's just unfortunate. But you talk about recency bias. Well, right now you have two contracts that are going to be a huge hit to your cap next season with two guys that probably aren't going to play for you. And, you know, Earl Thomas isn't getting any younger. He's in the peak of his career still, but he's at the top of the mountain right now and ready to hike back down. Right, he's going the other direction. You know, if they say that he's good to go, why should the Seahawks extend him? What's what's the disadvantage if you know that he's going to show up and play of letting him test free agency next year? Because a lot can happen, injuries alone, but also talent and that age 
at that position. I think if you let him go into free agency, you lose him. And is the team okay with that? Right. But that's my point. Like, I think that Earl Thomas is still playing at a high level. So if you can get a two-year contract extension out of him, so three years total, including this upcoming season, and, you know, maybe not so many guarantees last year, if you can come to some sort of agreement, I think that that's worth it. I personally, yeah, because this is a team that you know you're hoping is eyeing maybe a 2019, 2020 run, maybe Pete Carroll's last couple years of the team, and you and with that version of the team, you would envision an integral part of the defense is still Earl Thomas. I think he's earned that, that right. I think so too. Um, he'll be he'll be what turning 31 the final year of his contract if they give him a three year extension. A two year turning, extension. If they so a two year extension, three years total. Mm-hmm. He'll be turning 31. Yeah. I mean, that is, you know, definitely starting the back half of someone's career, right? Oh, it, but the contract will be over. <laughs> back third. Um, yeah. But, you know, in this day and age, you're probably ascending in the front two thirds of your, your ideal, then descending in the last third. But uh, Malik McDowell, team could be releasing him. That came out last week. Since then, not really anything new. Um, all Pete Carroll and John Schneider could say is it's unfortunate that we don't have as much clarity as we do. They could be cutting a second-round pick that never played for them. How discouraging is that? Yeah, it's crazy. And you, I don't know about you, Judah, but it sounded like the reports were the team is not going to clear him, but if they release him, another team might. That was the way that I read it. it yeah, it's that, with the hope that another team might, might be, be able you to know, clear for him. his sake. Yeah. But why, could, why couldn't the Seahawks clear him? I know. I mean, that's the question. We don't know anything. They've been so moot on this whole situation that it's really hard to even get any sort of feel as to what is actually going on. You know, all I know in the end is there's a lot of fans that are mad at him, and I just feel bad for him. Yeah. I mean, th- this is a guy that I, I know he had the incident to the arrest for making a scene outside of a nightclub or whatever. When you see the video, it's really not, I don't know, it's not that bad, right? Like, okay, you shouldn't get arrested. But if we're talking about like a list of things that people do wrong, Feels pretty low on the list, you know. Guy that probably partook too much in a little bit of alcohol and made a scene. ATL will get you. <laughs> but when you look at him, I mean, this is a guy that was going to, in all likelihood, have a great NFL career, and at the very least, make you know, make some money and you know, have a have a good career with a with a franchise that really values defense and. I'm sorry, but people say, well, you shouldn't make that decision. Well, every day we make decisions that put ourselves at risk. And unfortunately for him, the almost worst thing that could happen to him happened to him. Yeah, it's really I mean, it's when you think about that, like think about all the, you know, like Carl Malone rode a motorcycle to every game, right, for the Utah Jazz because it was in his contract he was allowed to. Like pretty dangerous thing to do, (laughs) like every single, right before a game too. And if he gets in an accident, we're all saying, wow, you just got to be more wise if you're in that position, which is what a lot of people are saying about McDowell now. And, you know, yeah, there's something to be said for, you know, being wise, absolutely. But there's also something to be said for drastic, unfortunate things happening. And I think this qualifies as both. Yeah. Um, All right, that wraps up the news here. Coming up, Ed Dixon, new tight end of the Seattle Seahawks, former Oregon Duck. I was able to catch up with him at the Oregon Duck spring game over the weekend. And uh, here's that conversation. Morgan Duck, current Seattle Seahawk. Let's start there, man. How did it feel to sign up the Seahawks? Felt really good. You know, I've always been a fan of the Seahawks and the production they put out and then everything they put out over the years. Uh, but to get a chance to play with the guys like Russell Wilson and some of the other guys on the offense, it's, you know, it's going to be a test. You know, I'm ready 
I've been ready for the challenge. I know they're transitioning offensive playbooks a little bit, and yeah. uh, they bring in Schottenheimer. Have you been able to connect with Brian at all and get a feel for what his system might be like? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's the first kind of connection that I made. When I went there, you know, I had a chance to get a feel for what Marty was doing and then with, with, with Russell where he wanted to go in his career. And then, you know, I, I took my trips and made, made a decision. You just have to get, get, out, get back over to the Pacific Northwest and play some football. How excited are you uh, to play ball with Russ? Oh, my God. He, he's a competitor, man. I, I've, I've been with some talented quarterbacks in, in my past, you know, with Joe Flacco and Cam Newton. But Russ, you know, he probably takes the cake. Let's go. I want to go back to Carolina because you got to play with Jay Stu and a, a lot of former guys with Oregon ties there. You're, you've got to be fond of that place. What was it like to play in Carolina? Well, it was. It was initially it was something new, going away from everything I knew in, in uh, Baltimore. But when I got there, you know, I just let you know hard work take over and be, be the chance to, to play with some guys that I was familiar with, like Jay Stu and, and Kenyon was there, and then Brandon Williams was there, and then a couple other guys was there before me. But just the chance to get, get familiar faces, you know, they help the, the, the growing process and, and fitting in and everything. So you're back in Eugene, you walk in Autzen Stadium, you've got the feel of the spring game. Yeah. What kind of emotions come to mind? Everything, man. It's, it's the big games that went down here. You know, it's, we're, we're some of the first teams that laid foundation for the regime of, you know, it never rains in Austin Stadium, that kind of phrase, or, you know, big games against, you know, uh, Oregon State or, or Washington or stuff like that, you know, it, this, this is the place that laid the foundation for me to further my career in the NFL. Is it cool to be able to reconnect with teammates? Like, I know LeGarrette's here, a bunch of other former Ducks are here, Marcus is here. How cool is that? These are friends for life, you know, you, you meet these guys uh, in your collegiate career, but they're always going to be brothers and friends for life. That's awesome, man. And have you gotten to know Mario Cristobal at all, or what do you think of the new coaching staff? I know there's been some changes recently. I'm fired up. I'm fired up. You know, I got a chance to meet him last night, uh, and just to hear him talk, how passionate he is about bringing winning back here Austin Stadium. Uh, he has the support of everybody in the NFL, all the NFL Ducks, and even the past Ducks that they played here. You know, you can't be you can't be more than happy than fired up for that guy to help you know the program get back to where it was. A lot of fun catching up with Ed Dixon at Autzen and uh, very generous with his time. As for how he fits in with the Seahawk offense, and you heard it into the clip, his excitement level to play with Russell Wilson couldn't be higher, and you you heard it during the conversation as well. He considers Russ to be the greatest competitor of all the quarterbacks that he's played with so far between Joe Flacco and Cam Newton, saying that Russ, quote, probably takes the cake uh, as like the most talented even quarterback that he's played with so far, more than Cam Newton. It was validating to to hear that, even when Ed spent so long in Carolina, hasn't played it down in Seattle yet. Yeah, I mean, those are interesting comments for sure. And and we're talking about, you know, Joe Flacco, who, you know, probably not the best quarterback in the world, but, did, you know, did win a Super Bowl. And, he, and Ed Dixon was on that team. Yeah, and Cam Newton, who was an MVP and yep. has taken his team to a Super Bowl and has put up numbers that we have never seen in the NFL in terms of a quarterback running and throwing the football. So... I think that says a lot about how he feels about Russell and you know how excited he is to be with this franchise and it speaks a lot to Wilson, you know. I, you hear all the scuttlebutt about Seattle might draft a quarterback. They might, you know, to 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 instill a sense of competition. Like can we stop with this, please? You have your franchise quarterback, okay? You, got, you know, drafting Luke Falk in the 5th round is not going to change that. You know, I mean, I, I don't get all this conversation around that. And I think that, um, you know, you need to build around the pieces you have. And you have a franchise quarterback. You have a top five quarterback in the NFL. You're lucky. 
Ed Dixon right now, I believe, is 30. He is, yes, 30, and he turns 31 before the start of the season, and he's the number one tight end on the Seahawks' depth chart as it stands right now. So maybe they might want to address that need in the uh, in the draft. Ah, feels great too, to be but, older than Ed Dixon. That's nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not me. Oh, <laughs> one guy who's way older than me. No, I'm just kidding. But John Ryan, the punter of the Seattle Seahawks. You know, John Ryan has been with the team since 2008. It's incredible how long of a run that he has had with this organization. It predates Pete Carroll. It predates John Schneider. And uh, he's the co-owner of the Portland Pickles, the independent league baseball team that plays right here in Portland. They play at Walker Stadium at Lentz Park out in Southeast. And John Ryan gets his own promotional night as co-owner coming up June 30th. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Tackle John Ryan night at uh, Walker Stadium. And I got a chance to talk with John earlier this morning. Pleased to be joined by co-owner of the Portland Pickles himself and punter, longtime punter of the Seattle Seahawks, John Ryan. John, thanks so much for joining us this morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Yeah, coming up June 30th, the John Ryan bobblehead night, tackle John Ryan night at Walker Stadium at Lens Park. Uh, John, uh, how quick were you to give your approval on this kind of a night? <laughs> well, we, uh, we did it last year, too, and it was a lot. I was totally open to doing it again, and then when they kind of upped the ante a little bit and said that I could have my own bobblehead, then I was I, I was sold for sure once the uh, bobblehead brought into the uh, picture. By the way, this is uh, are we celebrating your one year anniversary of joining the ownership group of the Pickles? Yes, it was uh, just over one year right now. Man, so w- what went into that first decision or interest on your part? Uh, to me, it was always just a dream to own a baseball team. I, I'm a baseball junkie; absolutely love it. I uh, started kind of poking around a little bit and kind of came across the Portland Pickles, and it was a you know an obvious fit for me. You know, once uh, I'm kind of realizing now my football down a little bit, and uh, when I'm done, I want to definitely have uh, have roots here in the Pacific Northwest, and this was just a perfect fit when this uh, came up in Portland. Growing up in Canada, what teams did you root for as a as a baseball fan? In Canada, it's kind of everyone's team is the, is the Blue Jays. And, you know, uh, someone actually asked that last night, why people all the way over in, you know, B.C. and uh, Alberta cheer for the Blue Jays. And because growing up, you know, 30 years ago, we only had three or four channels on TV. And we got uh, 162 Blue Jays games on, on the CBC. And, you know, other than that, we'd get one Major League Baseball game a week. So everyone just grew up with the Blue Jays being on TV all the time. That's uh, That was kind of my team growing up. So the the teams of the early '90s, uh, the the Devon Whites, the the Joe Carters, the, you identify yeah, with those guys? The the, the '92 '93 teams are uh, kind of what uh, really sold baseball in in Canada. Seeing when uh, people were were my age, so it's uh it's pretty cool. And of course, you're up in uh, Seattle, and I know whenever the Blue Jays come to Safeco, there are a ton of Toronto fans that come down from BC. So yeah, there's a there's a huge ton of. Canadian baseball fans just north of the border. Um, John, I'm a big Seahawk fan as well, and uh, you've been with this team now since 2008, and that's saying something given the amount of turnover on NFL rosters in this day and age. I know the Seahawks just released their most updated roster uh, yesterday, and there you are. You're right, right on it, as always. You've been with this team a long time. What's it like being the old guy on the roster? And you've been the, the face on this roster for over a decade now. Yeah, I mean, I've just, I've just been very, very fortunate to play uh, play as long as I have and to play, uh, you know, going on 11 years in, in one city, especially that being Seattle has been pretty special. 
And, you know, I kind of get, uh, you know, I'm only 36, but I get razzed for being the oldest guy. I think I'm the oldest guy on the team by uh, a few years other than the newly signed uh, Sebastian Janikowski. So that's uh, good to finally have one guy older than me. But, yeah, I kind of uh, take a bit of a revenue for being the old guy, but that's fine with me. I know you guys got some voluntary workouts coming up this week. Have you been able to connect with Sebastian yet? Yeah, he was actually uh, he was in town when he signed. I, I went out for dinner with him, and then uh, he was here for the first couple of days of the uh, off-season training and uh, had to head back and kind of collect his family. He's coming back next week, but uh, he's a great guy to be around. He obviously has a ton of experience having played you know 17 years of uh, NFL football, so he's, uh, he's just a fun guy to be around. I know Seahawks fans, uh, they, they've probably let you know over the past, but there's an ability by NFL fans in general to really take a microscope to the kicking game, and especially field goal kickers. And I was curious about the relationship between field goal kickers and the holders, which is a job that, that you execute on the special teams unit. And that's that's a job that's so important and so much quick detail is involved in executing that job. How important is it to have a good chemistry between the holder and the kicker when you're lining up for important moments in an NFL game? Yeah, it's a big, it's just a big trust trust thing. You know, the kicker has to trust his trust his holder. And uh, you know, for a guy like me, who's been doing it for so long, when I when I watch an NFL game or watch NFL film, you know, probably probably a third to half the kicks I miss because of the holds. But you know, that never that never really comes out. It's always put on the kicker. You know, so there's always there's a lot more that goes into it than uh, you, know, you might just see on Sunday for. You know, your average fan, it's a very important position, and it's obviously important for the, the kicker to trust, trust the holder. John Ryan joining us here on the game. He's about to enter his 13th NFL season, a Super Bowl champion, co-owner of the Portland Pickles. Of course, West Coast League, the Pickles are playing in this summer. Uh, John, I noticed your Wikipedia page says that you have 914 career NFL punts, and last year you attempted 92 punts. So if that gets replicated this coming season, you will eclipse the 1,000 career punt mark. Is that something that punters think about, or are you even aware of that? Uh, it's not something you really think about, but you know, kind of after the year when you kind of look through all your stats and see everything, you kind of at this point in my career, you kind of start to see milestones that you're creeping up on. And you know, when I was younger, I always said that none of that stuff would really matter to me. And now, when I'm older, it means a lot to me. You know, it's uh, it's kind of cool just that, to have that longevity and be able to look at. You know, some of those games played lists and, uh, you know, punt lists and yardage lists. And it kind of, uh, it means more to me than I thought it would have. I'll say that. June 30th is the tackle John Ryan night. Um, when when I saw that promotion be released, I immediately thought of some fake punts that you attempted <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. your career. I, I'm thinking of uh, against the Rams on that Thursday night game a couple of years back. And yeah. uh, even, I know Minnesota technically in the wild card wasn't a fake punt, but uh, you found yourself running with the ball and trying to hurdle guys in the middle of a field. Um, you're going to watch those highlights as hype videos for June 30th? No, I think I'll avoid those. Those will be the last thing I watched uh, before <laughs> that game. <laughs> Oh man, but you know, in in reality, do you have to be conscious at all of of how you let fans tackle you in the middle of the summer? Yeah, it was uh, it was all in good fun last year. I think it was uh, I think it was ten or eleven and under, and uh, I think we should have put a weight limit on it too, but we didn't. <laughs> but it was uh, you know the the kids kind of caught me, but it wasn't actually any any tackling going on. So it was uh, it was more safe than we make it sound, maybe. What's uh, the reasoning behind wearing the number nine? You've worn it your entire career. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a number I've worn right from the start. Um, as I said, growing up a big big baseball fan, uh, when Jackie Robinson played in Canada for Montreal, when it was the uh, the farm team of the Brooklyn Dodgers, he wore number nine, and that's always kind of a, he's always been an inspiration to me. So it's kind of a how I started wearing number nine. You've also played all sixteen games every single year except in '08. You played fifteen games. What happened there? <laughs> Uh, that's the year I was with the Green Bay Packers and I was released a week right before the first game. And then I didn't sign with Seattle until week two. So mm-hmm. that was the, the, uh, the lone week I've been, uh, missed in the NFL for the last 12 years. So it's, uh, kind of, it's, it's cool to have played all those games. I wish I could have played that one more week, but it's, uh, it's been cool. I know you overlapped with John Schneider in Green Bay. Then you came to Seattle and then Schneider, was given the GM job in 2010 in Seattle. What's your relationship with John? I have a great relationship with John. Uh, he brought me in for my first ever NFL workout. You know, I was playing the CFL. He brought me to Green Bay uh, 13 years ago. Uh, and then two and a half years later in Green Bay, he called me up to his office and he, he released me. So <laughs> he, he cut me. So then uh, <laughs> when he ended up did signing with, with Seattle, I was a little bit nervous and we had a, we had a good talk uh, pretty much the first week. And, he said I had nothing to worry about, so it was uh, it's been it's been a cool relationship, and he's just one of those guys you meet in this business that you really will probably keep in touch with for the rest of your life. Will Pickles fans get to see you around uh, around their games this summer? I'll be at quite a few games this year. I think uh, I'll be about fifteen games this year that I'll be at home games. Um, and as as you said about the uh, John Ryan night, we also have opening night June first, and tickets are actually available starting today for um, single-game tickets, and they're available at PortlandPicklesBaseball.com. PortlandPicklesBaseball.com. John, thanks so much for joining us. As a lifelong Seahawk fan, it's a thrill for me to get a chance to talk to you. And as a a Pickles fan myself, someone that's going to be involved with Pickles broadcasts here in the summer of 2018, it's another particular thrill. So thanks so much for taking the time, and I look forward to seeing you in the future, man. No, thank you, and we're uh, we're pumped to have you on board of the Portland Pickles. Uh, it's always fun talking with a guy like John Ryan, and uh, as you heard in the conversation, he will not be reviewing film of some of his fake punt lore. Uh, I asked him about <laughs> the, uh, the Rams fake punt from that Thursday night game a couple years ago when he uh, got his nose bloodied and the Minnesota Vikings wildcard game when he tried to leap over a couple dudes after muffing the snap. He said he won't be using that film as hype video for Tackle John Ryan night. (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, okay, so you mentioned how long he's been with this team. Yeah. And I know 2008 doesn't feel like that long ago, but it is. It's been a decade. The number one song that year was Low. Florida. Yeah, by Florida. How is that 10 years old already? (laughs) And the number one box office movie was The Dark Knight. Oh, man, that's a GOAT movie right there. That's in GOAT (laughs) candidacy. I love The Dark Full disclosure, I've only seen The Dark Knight. Really liked it. I fell asleep during Batman Begins, and the last one I can't even remember what it's called. Well, they're so um, they're dark movies, so it's easy to fall yeah, asleep. so it's easy to fall asleep. The first one I I fell asleep in the theater watching it. Wow, loved the Dark Knight, and the third one I haven't seen because I'm like, eh, what okay. is that? Batman Returns? No, no, no. Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, maybe Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, maybe Dark Knight learns how to clear his throat. I don't know. That'd be a good title for the movie. That's part of the. That's part of the thrill. <laughs> Where are you? He's just been with the team so long. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm Batman. That's how you know it's. I'm not actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Bruce Wayne because I changed my voice. Judah, this isn't Brian. I'm Radio Man. 
Dirty Dan the Garbage Man. (laughs) So, John Ryan. Off the rails. (laughs) We are off the rails here. Um, It's just incredible because, you know, I know it's it's a position that, that, you know, a lot of people don't consider super important, but with the way Seattle plays, punter is extremely important because they play field position game, right? They, they're not big on, you know, risk-taking and pinning people deep is, is pertinent to this team. And the fact that Ryan has been able to do that so well for as long as he has says a lot about how good he is. 914 career punts in the NFL, and uh, he had 92 punts last year. So if he replicates last year's number, he's going to be over the 1,000. Mark. Let's hope he doesn't. Let's hope he doesn't. Let's hope he doesn't. All right, last part of the podcast. Let's talk NFL draft, shall we, Brian Perkins? Three favorite players we want to see the Seahawks take with the 18th overall pick, given that they stay at 18. We'll both each rotate with a player that we each think the Seahawks uh, will take. And I'll start first, and I'll start just with my personal cheese ball, which is the terminology of Baseball America. I'll borrow that really quick. My favorite player, the guy I'm most high on, and a guy I personally don't even think is going to stick around to 18, and that's Derwin James, the safety out of Florida State. Yes, he's listed at safety, but he's got positional versatility and flexibility similar to another Florida State star that's in the NFL, Jalen Ramsey, who plays cornerback primarily but has the profile to really play anywhere. Derwin projects in a similar mold, and obviously the Florida State comparisons make it easy to project him like that. And with all the uncertainty around the strong safety position with Cam Chancellor, even though they've signed Bradley McDougald, uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. has always been on this kind of path as well. Derwin James to Seattle, you know, in short, I'm on it as well. That would be my number one option if the Seahawks stay at 18, and if he's still there, give me Derwin James. Yeah, I see a lot of people projecting him even potentially top 10. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, Part of it's too name recognition and brand value, just yeah. like Derwin James. Like yeah. Someone's just going to buy into that hype without even yeah. thinking twice about it. I don't think he slides up to 18 unless the Seahawks trade up in yeah. the top 15 maybe to get him. Which is something Seattle has not done yeah. in the Pete Carroll-John Schneider era. So, Trading But yeah, up. I mean, he would obviously be a great get because he has a lot of talent. I think too, depending on where the quarterbacks go, that could really dictate how the top 10 ends up playing out anyway Mm -hmm. so it's possible that he could fall there I'm also going to go with the safety Um, this guy is maybe not quite as highly touted but still a first round guy you and I saw him quite a bit this year in the Pac-12 in fact if you watch Pac-12 football you will know this name and that is Justin Reed out of Stanford Mm. you know I think uh, you know he's projected a little bit later in most mock drafts that I've seen than where Seattle picks but once again that could be a position of need and you have a McDougal there, and this is a guy that you could potentially groom to uh, to grow into that position. I really like his talents, so I don't know. We'll we'll have to see here, uh, but uh, I think that he could be a good pick. I like that, Justin Reed out of Stanford. My uh, second pick for the Seahawks at number eighteen is Marcus Davenport. You might not recognize the name. He plays at UT San Antonio, defensive end, and would help the pass rushing unit for the for the Seahawks. Get these numbers, Perkins. Last year, Seahawks pass rushers produced. 39 sacks, generated pressure on the opposition, 27.9% of snaps. Those figures were 13th and 18th in the NFL, respectively. So right in the middle of the pack where we've been accustomed to seeing the Seahawks pass rush in the top five at the very least, if not at the top of the NFL. So this would address that need. Davenport, a great senior season at UTSA, eight and a half sacks, 17 tackles for loss. At the Senior Bowl, he went 4.58 at the 40-yard dash, he's 6'6", 264 pounds. I like Marcus Davenport. I like it. I like it. So defense has kind of been the theme here so far. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm going to go offense. And let me tell you why. Um, this is a this is a team. I think that, despite what I said earlier in the podcast, that you need to, you know, you have a franchise quarterback, utilize him to the best of your ability. I think that they are going to maybe do that with Russell Wilson's legs a little more than his arm. And I think this is a team that is going to be going back to their roots of running the football. You look at the moves they've made this offseason, and that is the direction Seattle is headed. And I'm not sure they have faith in the guys they have. There's not a lot. uh, I mean, the jury's still out on a lot of these guys, right? These running backs because of injury issues, you know, only playing in three or four games. While they looked good, maybe you don't have the faith that uh, you you think you might um, for a guy that you've seen for a couple seasons. So I am going to go... With Darius Geis. Ooh, I of, like it. I don't know if you heard of this a little school called LSU. What? Who um, has never produced a top-tier running back, It's by funny. The way. They always are. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And they always play in the shadow of the major college there, uh, Louisiana. Lafayette. Yeah, yeah Louisiana. Cajuns. Yeah, it's really tough to, to kind of get, uh, you know, branding. Yeah. But, you know, Geis is a guy, you look at it, and when you look at numbers for running backs, you expect them to have, you know, like 1,500 yards, six, you know, they you know, especially because you can rack up numbers early in the season when you're playing your Appalachian states of the world. You know, he rushed for about 1,200 yards. He had 11 touchdowns this year. I think that he is a guy that if Seattle is going to try to go back to their roots and go back to their to the run game, I think that having a steady young presence at that position with a guy that's going to be really hungry might be the way to go. My third and final one for the Seahawks is still on the defensive side of the ball, and that's uh, Vita Vea, the defensive tackle out of uh, Washington. Now, similar to Derwin James, I don't think Vita Vea is going to slip down this far, although there are some questions that have come up recently just about his his size and his projectability at the NFL level. But apparently, you know, there's blogs out there that back this up too. The Redskins at number 13 are allegedly in love with Vita Vea, and with Steven Paya going out the door, it looks like that's kind of the guy that they've got their eye on to, to draft at 13. So he's probably going to go earlier than this. But the Washington connection, you know, it seems like right there for the taking, help plug up the middle and be a guy that hopefully will stay there for a long time, especially with the uncertainty around Malik McDowell and the departure of Sheldon Richardson. Um, even with the pieces that they've added in free agency uh, with Tom Johnson and others, it seems like a good fit in that defense, Vita Vea to the Seahawks. Yeah, that would be. I mean, if he fell there, I think if you're Seattle, you have to make a move, don't you? Especially yeah. with Malik McDowell. If you don't think he's going to be back, or um, they they won't have released him by then, probably because that's only a few days from now. But you know, I I do agree with you. I think that that would be a great pick. I'm going to go defense as well for my final uh, projection, and it's a guy that has the most common name in the draft, Josh Jackson, <laughs> cornerback from Iowa. Wow, way to stand out, Josh Jackson. You know, they, Seattle has made some moves, right, obviously, this uh, offseason to really help shore up their secondary. But, man, you lose a lot of guys, don't you? Jeremy Lane it, did not stay in his lane. He's gone. You know, you, you don't know what's happening with your safety position right now. Um, I know you make a signing. You know, you, you steal San Francisco's starter. You have a couple backups. But we know that Russell Wilson, that – Pete Carroll really values youth in the secondary, and I feel like Josh Jackson could be just the perfect fit. Um, And he's a guy that I think will be there at 18 for this team. We didn't bring up the offensive line at all for the Seahawks, um, <laughs> which it, is shocking. That of six players for us, we did not, none of us, neither of us picked one offensive lineman. And look, here are the other selections that they have. Keep in mind, at num- they are at number 18, but they don't have a second round pick or a third round pick. For now, okay. yeah, which is why we think they could trade back too, right? They have a fourth round pick at 120 overall. 
They've got a fifth-round pick at 141 overall. Interesting right here on the draftsite.com. At that fifth-round pick, Bo Scarborough out of Alabama, the big back, have him projected as a fifth-rounder to Seattle just for what that is worth. Uh, they got three. They got four fifth-round picks, 141, 146, 156, and 168, and then three seventh-rounders as well. How do they address the offensive line in this draft if they're not addressing it at 18 overall? Is it a lot of focus with those collection of fifth-rounders, or are we going to see a lot of chaos in terms of trading up, trading down, and just like trying to negotiate positioning to get the guys that they want? I think if Seattle doesn't have someone they love at 18, they're going to trade back. That would be my guess, if they can, if someone wants to trade up there. Um, so I think that's something to keep an eye on, for sure, yeah. um, because we know how much Seattle covets those second, third-round picks. Less guaranteed money, less cap hit. And if they feel like they can find value there, then they I think that they would much rather um, go that direction if they can. Offensive line-wise, they, they definitely need depth. Um, but it feels a little bit, to me at least, like most of those positions are short up, for better or for worse, <laughs> with this team. So I have a hard time imagining them using a first-round pick on an offensive lineman when there are so many other positions of need right now, which is insane to say. Obviously, they're going to take a lineman at some point in this draft, you would assume, but... It feels a little bit like they kind of have at least a basic skeleton of the starting crew that they want coming into this season. I, I agree. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Mike Solari, new online coach, he's going to have some young guys to work with somewhere in this draft. I know. Who do the Browns uh, take? Um, I think. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I I I think that they're going to take, um, I think they're going to take Josh Allen, and I what? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Just because it's the Browns, like you just (laughs) and that's right now. You know, I've I've got to kind of think about it a little bit more. Uh, Tune in, Perkins, Thursday, three (laughs) o'clock, hosting an NFL draft show on one hundred two nine seven fifty. The game. If if you, it sounds like a Browns thing to do. Because don't get me wrong, I am not a Josh Allen believer, not even slightly. Yeah. Um, And Mel Kiper has had him going one to the Browns since last year. I just, dude, I. At some point, measurables are measurables. A lot of guys have had measurables. A lot of guys have had big arms. But if yeah. you can't produce on a football field in-game action, you're not going to learn it right away, homie. And I don't trust that situation as an opportunity to learn said development. I'm not a Josh Allen guy, but I guess he'd go one. What about you, Darnold? I feel like they, they need to take Darnold. Like That just seems like the logical choice. Or I, I really like Rosen. Yeah. Um, he's a bit of an enigma, I know, and he's gotten a lot of negative publicity leading up to the draft. It's kind of he crazy. Has, yeah, it's bizarre. It's it is really bizarre because he's such a smart guy. Like he, I don't know. It's it's very weird. Like like oh well, he questions the coaches. Well, maybe that's not a bad. I don't know. Some yeah. part of me goes like, well, maybe Jim Moore, you'd still be employed if you uh, would have listened to your players. Um, so I, I think they're going to take Darnold because I don't know how you miss that pick. Well, Dar- and Darnold I think has. A lot of holes, too. What if they take Darnold at one and then Allen at four? I don't like that at all. I mean, you're talking about it's been brought up, you know, two quarterbacks in the top four. Maybe you hit on one, but you impede the the uh, the developmental process of both those guys, I think, yeah. and, and hinder it. We're going to take you number one, but we don't believe in you. So yeah. we're actually going to take, yeah. And, you know, splitting reps and practice and all that stuff, like that stuff matters. No, I, I don't like that approach. I do like Saquon, so maybe him, but I, I most like the idea of Quentin Nelson, the offensive lineman from Notre Dame, and a top-tier quarterback 
as a combination for them. That's what I think is in their best interest. Well, and people are comparing, well, Washington did it when they took RG3. It wasn't the same thing. Well, wasn't it, Cousins a fourth rounder? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Fourth or fifth rounder. I mean, mm-hmm. it was late in the draft. And think about what they gave up to get RG3. Yeah. They, I mean, they sold the farm. farm for him. So it's a completely different situation than than drafting a guy at one and drafting a guy at four. Like, on paper, it sounds smart. Like, the Browns should just take a quarterback every single pick in this draft and find their guy yeah. and go from there. Like, you would think, like, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But you're right. It would impede the progress. I think it also shows those guys you don't have faith in any of them. And I don't know, just the mentality. I think, like, what if your business was like, hey, so we're hiring you, but we're also going to hire another guy that does the exact same job as you. And then we're going to make a decision in like three months, which one of you is actually worth it. Yeah. I mean, some guys might respond well to that. Some, some wouldn't. I just don't, I don't feel like that's the, I would go bleep you. I'm out of here. Yeah. You either believe in me or you don't. Can't wait for that. Can't wait. <laughs> he, for Brian That's Ferguson, two for me. I'm Judah Newby. Tune in to 1029 The Game, 1029thegame.com, Thursday at 3 o'clock for our NFL Draft Special, and we will carry it live on Westwood One. That begins at about uh, 5 o'clock with the Browns selecting at 5, 10 p.m. One selection on Thursday for the Seahawks at 18 overall. They get Friday off right now with no second or third rounders, and then a very, very busy Saturday with the rest of their picks. We'll talk about it all next week. This is a Game Plan Podcast on 1029thegame.com.